Welcome. So normally we have like a little bit of a bumper video that we play here, but I'm taking a break from the message series and I didn't feel like having the church pay for a video. So you're just going to have to watch all this back scene kind of stuff. So if it's your first time here, welcome. My name is John. I'm the lead pastor here. And um, for the last two weeks, Adam Duckworth, our volunteer coordinator, has been walking us through this series called What Seems Impossible. And, and the gist of this series, if you've missed it or if you were here, is that in all of our lives, God has put a burden on our heart for something. Some of us have figured out what that is. Other of us are still looking. But it's this idea that he can use us to change the world around us, even if it's in a small way. But coming up very soon, we're all going to be involved in an event. And I just, I want to get us prepared for it. I want to make sure that we're ready for it. So today, what I want to give you is what I'm going to call a Thanksgiving survival guide. This is just, a, just getting you guys ready for this day. Now, I love Thanksgiving. I think it's fantastic. And one of the reasons I like it is because everybody celebrates it. It's an American holiday. Yeah, there's some religious undertones to it. But as Americans, this is something that we all celebrate together. Additionally, the reason I like it is because it's kind of like opening day for Christmas season. It's sort of like once you do this day, you hit the ground running towards Christmas. Now, I did put my decorations up yesterday. I know Adam has had his up for, I don't know, four and a half months, I think, based on Instagram. But it's go time. I mean, right after Thanksgiving, it's it. We are in it. It is buying presents. It's the craziness. It's everything. And on this day of Thanksgiving, one of the things you're supposed to do is reflect on your blessings. You're supposed to reflect on the things as Christians that God has done in your life. As Americans, we reflect on all the good things that are happening, really, because despite what you think about this country and where we are right now, we do have it pretty good here. We do have it pretty good compared to the rest of the world. And that's what we're supposed to reflect on in that day. But if we're being honest, Thanksgiving really is all about the food, okay? And I, I pulled this picture up, and I was like, you know, Googling Thanksgiving food, and I was looking at it, and I go... Who's eating vegetables on Thanksgiving? Well, that's like a waste of plate real estate space. Because it's all about, you know, the turkey and the stuffing and the gravy, and that's it. There's no time for greens. I mean, let's get real. So in my house, in the Garippa household, and this has been for generations, you know, we're Italians, and so, so when it comes to these major holidays, these major eating holidays, whether it's birthdays or Christmas or Thanksgivings, all this kind of thing, we say something. We say something about how you are supposed to be eating. Our motto is this, you don't eat until you're full, you eat until you hate yourself. Okay, you're laughing because maybe you have this motto and you didn't even realize it. No one in my family in the history of the generation of all the Grippas has ever gotten to an entree and said, you know what, I'm good. I think I've had enough. I think that's, that's plenty. No. You eat until you can't look at yourself in the mirror, that you're just disgusted with yourself and you go, how did you do this? Okay, you're questioning your salvation. You're questioning, you're like, all you can do is lay down on a couch and take your clothes off because they can't hold this gut in anymore. You've consumed way more wine than you're supposed to, all right? And you're just, I'm done. I can't even go on. Now, interesting thing about Thanksgiving, unlike Christmas, I find that Thanksgiving, the table is, is just a bunch of ragtag people, right? It's a bunch of random people. It's never just like your immediate family, at least that is for me. It's like your dad brings his coworker whose wife just left him, all right? It's like your sister brings the boyfriend for the first time, and you're not even sure if he actually likes girls, and you're just, and it's like the uncle who is just so racist, and you're just like, get me through this day, okay, Lord? Help me navigate this minefield of a day so I can make it out in one piece. And then you got that going on in the background. And because it's 2018, 
and you know this to be true, and I'm about to put it up on the screen, because it's 2018, around that table, everybody gets offended. No matter what you say, someone, and maybe it's you, you're going to get offended. So this church prides itself on being a practical church that we can give you things that actually help you in life. And so this week I was thinking, you know, I'm going to give them John's top list of topics to avoid at Thanksgiving. And as I was writing them and, and just looking them on the screen, I said, you know, these are good, but it is 2018. And even though you guys are normal, they're bound to trigger somebody. So I was like, let's scratch that. Let's instead, what I'm going to give you is one topic that you can talk about that is universally agreed on. And now this topic, and I'm a researcher, and I've done research over the last couple of years, and, and this topic that I'm going to give you, you can use it anywhere. Anytime there's a lull in conversation, whether you're downstairs getting coffee, or you're at a happy hour, or you're at the water cooler at work, or you're at Thanksgiving next week, all you have to do is ask this question. What are you watching on Netflix? Done. You know it because you said it. You just have to ask that, and you've got three to four hours of conversation taking place, okay? This is the great equalizer. Everybody, a couple people after the last service said, I don't have Netflix. Get it, okay? Everyone's got Netflix. You need, if you're an American at this point and you don't have it, you are missing out. It's 14 bucks a month, split it with a couple of friends. Everybody shares anyway. Get it. So let me give you a couple of shows if you're not up to date on Netflix. Let me give you a couple of shows that you can talk about next weekend. If you haven't watched them yet, you can ask them questions about it. If you have watched it, you can teach people about it. But first and foremost, the, the number one out of the gate, I feel like everybody always says is, hey, have you seen Breaking Bad? Great show, okay? You could talk about who your favorite character is. You can ask him, hey, do you like the wife? Because nobody likes the wife for some reason. And this is easily 45 minutes of conversation. You'll be well into your entrees by talking about Breaking Bad. Another show just came out, and my wife and I, we binged this baby in two days at nighttime, and, and it's, it's a different kind of a show, but I think you're going to like it. It's called The Haunting of Hill House. Have you seen this one? Oh, boy. Okay? Now, it's a horror, and we don't generally love horrors, but this one is different. It's, it's kind of about a family and, and what happens to you when you've lived in a haunted house. And it's the kind of show that after you're done, you have to go watch like an episode of The Office because you need like a little eye bleach because you're just, you know, you can't go to sleep. And if you have seen it, I'm going to give you three words, bent neck woman. You know what I'm talking about? All right. The last show, and then we're done with this because this will take you, you know, through Christmas. This last one took the nation by storm, and it's very good, and it's, you can have a lot of good conversation about it. It's making a murderer. You see this? So this is a documentary. Second season just came out. It's all about this guy, Stephen Avery, and his little cousin. And it's this whole idea about whether or not this guy actually killed someone or not. And it takes place in Manitowoc County, Wisconsin. And I'll just say this. It's very different than Fort Lauderdale. Very different. And based on the way that Adam Duckworth describes his hometown, I think it looks a lot like Manitowoc County. <laughs> okay. okay, it's an interesting place. And the other thing about this show is that you will see that it is possible for two people to have a conversation saying nothing but the word yeah to each other. This guy and his mother, they're on the prison phone for minutes, and there's just the subtitles, and it goes, yeah, 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 yeah. It's so popular that there's even a drinking game now that every time the person says yeah, you take a sip, okay? It's great. Go watch it. You'll thank me later. But Thanksgiving, like, let's get serious for a second, because Thanksgiving is fun for some of us. 
But for way too many of us, because I've had conversations with you guys, Thanksgiving is a reminder of broken relationships. It is the first major holiday of the year, you know, after Easter. It's really the first time that we're going to be seeing relatives. We're going to be seeing people that we might have tension with. Maybe you're a person who was uninvited to Thanksgiving. Maybe mom called you and said, you know what, maybe it's better you skip this one. Maybe you're somebody who's maybe made that call and said, hey, why do you take this year off? Things aren't great around here. And it's tough. It's not easy. And so what we have to do in preparation for next week, we need to begin talking about forgiveness, okay? Now, it's a major topic. Forgiveness is a major, major topic, and it's something that every single one of us, at varying degrees, deals with. Now, if you are a person here today who's not a Christian, someone invited you or just dragged you along, or maybe you're here just checking it out, and you're not into the Jesus thing, there is stuff that you can learn here today, for sure. You can put this into your life, and you know, you'll be better at life because of it. But if you are a Christian, if you're someone who said yes to Jesus, let me just give you a heads up before we dive into this. Jesus has some strong words for you. But just when it comes to forgiveness, I just want to give you a heads up that he has some very strong words for you about this topic. So this story takes place in Matthew 18. And before we dive in, I need to give you a little bit of context to what's happening before what we're going to be talking about. So Jesus is in a crowd of people, and he's having a conversation with a group. And he's talking about what I would describe as, you know, conflict resolution amongst Christians. When someone bothers you, because Christians can bother you, as you may know, what do you do? Well, most of us, when someone has angered us, when someone has hurt us, we go to every single person around us but that person. We go to our families, we go to our friends, we go to our, our HR department. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 don't, stop, don't. I know that's your human nature, but I'm telling you that your first step, you've got to go to that person, and you've got to try to make it right. And if you can't make it right, well, then we can talk about what to do after that. But you've got to first go to that person. Now, in the background of this conversation, Peter, who's one of Jesus' disciples, is listening to this conversation. He's hearing Jesus talk about this conflict resolution. And based on the story that we're going to read, it becomes clear that Peter's got a problem with somebody. And it appears to be an ongoing issue. There's this constant tension in Peter's life between this person and him. And so he goes to Jesus when Jesus is done teaching about conflict resolution. And he goes to Jesus and he asks him the question. He goes, hey, Jesus, let me ask you a question. How often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Should I do it seven times? See, it, this number seven is interesting. Because in the Bible, there are various important, what I'll call spiritual numbers. Three is a big one. Okay? you got the Trinity, Jesus rose on the third day. You see that number time and time again. Seven's another big one. Seven days of the week, God rested on the seventh day. Time and time again, you see seven throughout the Bible. And I believe that in this moment, Peter is trying to almost impress Jesus. He's trying to say, hey, should I forgive someone seven times? Does that sound like a reasonable spiritual number that a Christian should say, you know, at this point, I'm done? Because the question that he asks, which is, how many times should I forgive someone, is one that we've all asked. In fact, in my career in ministry, this is the number one question that I get. I get it in the hallway over here. I get it at DHC nights. I've had to answer this question uh, at coffee appointments. And you have probably asked this question yourself to yourself 
to Jesus, to family members, and you're, you're just trying to say, how, how, how do I get through this? How many times do I have to do this? What's interesting about this question, what it begins to reveal, is that we have the wrong idea about forgiveness. We've misunderstood what forgiveness is because we wrongly believe that forgiveness is for the benefit of the offender. Now, this is something nice that we're doing for this person. They've hurt you. Okay, we're doing this for them. We're letting them off the hook. Peter says, all right, I'll let them off the hook. I'll give them this gift of forgiveness, but I'll do it for seven times. And at that point, I'm going to draw a line in the sand. And it's done. And at that point, I am going to withhold forgiveness from them. And we've all been there. And what happens is that we begin to feel like there's almost, that something has been taken from us, and we can't place our finger on it, but there's almost like they took something from us in this hurt. And there begins to become this debtor, debt-y relationship. And, And what we begin to say is that you owe me an apology. You owe this to me. Something is owed. And we wait for that apology. And we wait and we wait, and we wait, and we stew on it, and we get angrier and angrier, and we say, Why not? how do they not know what's going on? Why are they not begging for forgiveness? You owe me an apology. Now, what's interesting is that when we find ourselves in this state, because I think we've all been here at some point in our lives, and we start to get angrier and angrier and angrier, something happens in our life. And theologians have tried to put a name on it, and scholars have come behind them and, and said, well, what begins to happen next in this stage is what we will classify as shower arguments, okay? You're washing your hair, all of a sudden you find yourself arguing with this person, okay? I'm the best at this. I've actually missed my calling. Mine are so good that I could be in front of the Supreme Court. These are beauties, okay? And I am like eviscerating these people in the shower. And here's the thing. I don't know about you, but when I'm having these shower arguments with these people, there's always like a large crowd watching you. Now, they're not in the bathroom watching you, but like in your mind, when you're at work and you finally get to decimate this person in public, people are cheering you on. All right, they're laying you know, palm branches before you because they are amazed at how good your argument is because you've been working on it for months. You know it. And for me, my shower arguments, they're always with previous employers. Mark from 11th grade, still hate that kid, okay? Ugh, my neighbor Kyle with the fence, it's like this, just fix it already, all right? Get it together. But they have no idea that I'm angry at them. And they're just living their lives, and life is great. And I, by the way, am killing myself in the shower. Every day, having these arguments, waiting for them to apologize. Now, I got off easy because mine are pretty dumb, although they still get my blood pressure up. But for some of you guys, they're a lot deeper. For some of you, they're with parents, siblings, spouses, children, adult children. Maybe your infants are driving you crazy. I don't know what's going on in your house, okay? But the hurt is real, and it's deep, and we're just killing ourselves with this unforgiveness towards these people. We're absolutely killing ourselves with unforgiveness towards these people. And I believe, and I don't think any one of us would admit this publicly. I don't even know if you'd admit it privately, but I do believe that when it's just you and your head on that pillow at night, I think we would kill for these relationships to be fixed, 
but we're not willing to forgive. We've just, we've been burned too many times. We've been down that road before, and we just get to a place where we say, how many times, Lord? So I have to forgive this person. I've done this before. We've played this game. We've sung this song. How many times, Lord, do I have to keep forgiving this person? Peter asks this to Jesus. And Jesus responds, no, not seven times, but 77 times, 10 times as much. Whatever you think, Peter, way more than that. Peter wanted to get let off the hook, and Jesus is saying, not going to do it. I'm not letting you off the hook on this one. And he goes, in fact, I'm going to teach you a lesson. So Jesus next teaches Peter a parable. And let me just tell you what a parable is, if you don't know. A parable is a fictional story that Jesus would create to tell a real truth. Now, in parables, not everything is one for one, okay? Some of this is just analogy, because you're going to hear some things today that are a little scary. Jesus is just trying to get your attention. That's all he's trying to do. So he says, Peter, let me, let me, talk, to you about, let me talk to you about forgiveness real quick. He goes, it's like this. He goes, the kingdom of heaven is like this. It, it can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him, goes on. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him 10,000 talents. Let me talk to you about what this 10,000 talents is, because depending on what your version of the Bible is, what you've maybe read in your past, it might say a great sum of money. It might say millions of dollars. It may say many bags of gold. But Jesus said 10,000 talents. And it's important. And here's why. In Jesus' time, 10,000 was the largest number available in calculating. That was the highest number there was. That's the top. Couldn't get any higher. Additionally, uh, a talent was the largest sum of money available at that time. So when Jesus says 10,000 talents, everybody knew what he meant. It's kind of like me saying you owe me 10 bazillion dollars. It's like a made-up number, okay? It's not a real number. Just for context, King Herod, who we're going to be talking about in about three weeks during the Christmas series, it is written down that his annual salary was 900 talents. See, what Jesus is using here is called hyperbole. It's a grand exaggeration. This is actually the sense of humor that they would have had back then at that time. So this was a joke. People would have laughed when they heard this because it's, it's ridiculous. So he goes on. He says he couldn't pay. He couldn't pay. Well, that's not a shocker. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, and his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. See, again, Jesus here is using hyperbole. This is, a, this is a big exaggeration, because according to Jewish law, a man could be sold into slavery over his debt, but you could never sell the wife, you could never sell the kids. And so when Jesus is telling the audience that, they're going, whoa, whoa, this is, okay, I see what you're saying here. This guy has a debt unlike the world has ever seen before. We get it. We understand. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please, be patient with me, and I'll pay it all. Right, sure, okay? Not possible. This guy's either a liar or he's out of his mind to think that he could ever pay back 10,000 talents. Continues. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him. And he forgave his debt. He looks at the guy and he goes, you know what? It's my debt to collect. It's astronomical in nature. But as far as I'm concerned, 
It's over. Debt's paid. Don't worry about it. Not a problem. Now think about what this means for this guy. I mean, in this moment, he was not just released from a debt that he could never repay, but he was saved from slavery. His wife was saved from slavery. His kids were saved from slavery. Imagine how good this guy feels. Imagine the relief and the re- imagine how his life is now transformed. How free he is to go out into the world and make a difference for good because of what this king has done for him. Watch how his life was changed. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. This is great. And then he grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. What's going on here? I mean, you just got let off a huge debt and you're choking this guy out for a couple thousand dollars that's easily repayable? What's happening? What is going on in this story? goes on. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged him for a little bit more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it. The exact words the unforgiving servant used. Be patient with me. But his creditor wouldn't wait. And he had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. Now, people are watching. And it goes on. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset at the shock. They went on, they went to the king, and they told him everything that had happened. And the king called the guy in, and uh, he had said, and he goes to him, and he goes, look, listen. He goes, you evil servant. You evil servant, he calls him. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Mercy is this idea that I, we're letting you off the hook. You, you deserved what was coming to you, but we let you off the hook. He goes, I let you off the hook. I gave you mercy. And, and what are you doing with it? You, you're choking this guy out? You're calling in the debts? What's going on? And the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. He said, I let you off the hook. He goes, but I see what you're doing with your life. He goes, so we're going to play by your rules. We're going to do forgiveness by your rules. And now you have to go to prison. It's at this point that I think Peter regrets opening up his big mouth. You know what I mean? He kind of thought Jesus was going to say, well, you know what? One, two times, forgive him. That's it, you're good. Walk away, not a problem. And said Jesus drops this story on his lap. And I mean, it is like quite a damning story. And Peter, Peter's listening to this and goes, oh, not what I was expecting. Because you've just told me a story, and I understand what you're saying, Jesus, where the king is God, and you're saying that I'm the unforgiving servant? Now, Jesus is not done. Before I put this on the screen, in the Bible, there are a couple of verses that I wish weren't there. I think many of you have been there, too. You read it, and you go, I wish you didn't say that. There's a couple of times where I wish, you know, in this particular scenario, Jesus went to Matthew and said, you know, I know I said that, but scratch that off. We don't, we don't need to have that in the record. So Jesus ends this whole parable about forgiveness, and he looks at Peter, and he says these words, that's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Whoa. That's heavy. That is heavy. And I have to imagine that Peter hears this and goes, whoa, 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 Jesus, wait, 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 w
I'm the one who's hurt, and you're coming after me? I'm the one who's angry. I'm the one who can't sleep. I'm the one having the shower arguments. I'm the one owed the apology, and you're coming after me? You're almost threatening me to forgive? What's going on here, Jesus? See, what's happening here is that Jesus knows us. He made us. He knows our body. He knows our spirit. He knows our mind. He knows how everything operates. And the reason he has to almost, and it's a parable, don't forget, he has to almost threaten us to forgive people is because he knows that failing to forgive is like pushing the self-destruct button. He knows this about the human spirit and the human body. And he knows that when we hold on to that forgiveness, it will destroy us from the inside out. It'll absolutely eat us alive. I heard a person once brilliantly say, once brilliantly say it like this, holding on to unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. It's the truth. We use forgiveness like a weapon. Like something we use against people, we hold them at bay, we keep them, we, we say, well, I'll get them, I'll get them. And what happens? We hurt ourselves. And with this unforgiveness that we hold on to, we end up chaining ourselves to that negative event or that negative person or that negative spirit, and we kill ourselves. And what's so true is that you will never allow the past to be the past until you deal with unforgiveness. You know this to be the case. This is the truth. Every holiday, every Thanksgiving, every Christmas, every birthday, every Easter, every 4th of July, it claws its way back into your life. Jesus says you must forgive. There's no option for you. Now, where does he get the premise for this bold claim? How can he almost threaten us to forgive other people? It's the cross. It's what happened on the cross that one day 2,000 years ago. See, what you have to understand is that when Jesus hung on that cross, he knew you. I mean you. Not just you, you. And he knew your failures. He knew the promises that you would make to him and then break, because you know you've made them and you know you've broken them. He knew the time you would cheat on your spouse. He knew the time you stole. He knew it all. And he and God went to the cross anyway. Because he loved you. And as he hung on that cross, as his hands were nailed to the boards, and academics will tell you it is the most painful death there is. You actually choke to death under the weight of your own body. I believe, as he whispered those last words, I, I believe that he almost pushed himself painfully off those cross, just enough to get the air. The Bible says that he yelled out one last word before he died to tell us die which means the debt has been paid. The last words that he uttered, the last words that he could muscle the strength up to echo out of his mouth, the debt has been paid. 
It's actually an accounting term. They have found stamps on invoices to tell us die, to tell us die, to tell us die. The debt has been paid. Your debt has been paid. And he's telling Peter and he's telling us in this parable, he goes, guys, it's, it, you are this person. The 10,000 talents, it's your broken relationship with God. And you can never repair this. And so many of us say, just give me time. I can make it right. I can do the good works. Not a problem. I can make this right between me and God. I'm a good person. Jesus goes, come on. Can't. You can't do it. That's why I went to the cross. That's why I went to the cross. And we were forgiven that day of an astronomical debt. And yet so many of us, me included, live our lives like that unforgiving servant. When someone harms us, what do we start to do? We say things like that. We need perfect conditions in order to forgive. I'll forgive you. Not a problem. But I need something first. I need you to come crawling on your hands and knees. I need you to kiss my ring. I need you to admit every single thing you've done, and you've got to mean it. And I want to see tears coming down your face. And until I see all of that, you're not getting my forgiveness. But we didn't learn that from Jesus. We didn't learn that from God because Romans 5.8 says this. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. He went to the cross while we were still sinners. While we spat in his face. While we crucified him. While we hated him. He went to the cross. He didn't wait for you to come crawling on your hands and knees. He didn't wait for the perfect conditions. He went to the cross. Something else was nailed to the cross that day. And it was our right to withhold forgiveness. Jesus says in this parable, he goes, guys, you need to understand that if you said yes to me, if you have said yes to me, you have given up your right to not forgive. And that's a big pill to swallow. And the reason that's so hard to swallow is because we, for so much of our lives, have had the wrong understanding of forgiveness. Because forgiveness is not for the benefit of the offender. Yeah, it makes things much better. Relationally, it makes things way better when you forgive. Way better when you forgive. Thanksgiving will be a heck of a lot better when you forgive. But the reason we offer forgiveness is because it frees you. Forgiveness frees you. It releases you from your past. It heals your pain, and it allows you to finally move forward in your life. So let me ask you a question. Um, have you ever prayed the Lord's Prayer? Many of us have grown up Catholic, say that all the time. It's a, it's a song. For some reason, it's a popular Christmas song. I don't know why. Really, it's nothing to do with Christmas, but it's actually one of my favorite Christmas songs. Barbara Streisand is my favorite version, interestingly enough, that she sings it, but it's fantastic. All right? Here's the prayer. Now, before we put it up on the screen, Jesus' disciples went to Jesus and said, how do we pray? Can, and some of you asked me this. How, how do we pray? 
And so Jesus says, I can give you a pattern to follow. And so here's the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And then the next verse, something we've prayed, something that Jesus has instructed us to pray. Watch these next lines. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do you know what as means? In the manner of which? Like we forgive? We've been praying to God to ask him to forgive us like we forgive other people. Let me ask you a question. Would you want God to forgive you like you forgive others? It's a serious question. Would you want God to play by your rules? Because we've been praying this prayer for a long time, and you've been singing that song. I've heard you. And the ramifications are actually scary when you think about it. Would you want God to play by your rules when it comes to forgiveness? What's the practical? If it's your first time here at DHC, every single week we put this word up on the screen because we want to make sure that you can leave here on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So the first one is this. You need to identify the hurt in your life. You need to identify exactly what is going on. You need to pray to God and ask for clarity. Let me explain to you what I mean by this. I've had a lot of conversations with people, and they say, you know, I haven't, for instance, I haven't spoken to my sister in years. It's been years. And I say, well, what happened? I don't know. It's been so long, I don't even know why we don't talk anymore. That's natural. That's what happens. You need to pray to God to ask to give you clarity about what happened so many years ago, what you've actually lost sight of and why you are so angry and why you've been hurt. And then you need to cancel the debt. You've got to stamp the telestai on that, baby. And that's not an emotion. It's a decision. You need to actively say, you know what? I forgive. It's over. I forgive you. And then the hardest part. You need to refuse to pick the debt back up. You got to hand it to God. You got to say it's yours. And you can't pick it back up. Because you've heard the phrase, forgive and forget. That's not real. We can't forget. Okay? You can't forget, but you can refuse to pick the debt back up. Now, in some of our lives, we've been hurt worse than others. Some of us have faced some things in this life that are just unconscionable. Abuse, I don't know what it is for you. But the truth is, according to Jesus, there are, there, there are no limits as to what our forgiveness is supposed to look like. He asked us to forgive everybody, even the abusers. Now, it's very hard, almost impossible to ever forget that. So here's what I would challenge you to do. When you think back at those moments 
and when it's painful, and when you feel it dragging you back in there, I would challenge you to make those moments, to make that act of forgiveness to that person, to that abuser, to whatever that horrible situation is, I would challenge you to make that a memory marker of the great gift that God has given you. On that cross that day, when he yelled out to Telestai, I would challenge you to replace the awful pain of that event with the beauty of the gift that was given to you on that day. So with Thanksgiving right around the corner, Christmas a couple weeks behind, I'll just ask you this question. Who do you need to forgive? Because I guarantee you right now, you know. It's in your mind. It's in your face. You, you, you picture that face, that name. It's there. You're going to make this year different? You're going to reach out? You're going to change things? Or are you going to let it keep clawing you back and dragging you down and destroying you and eating you alive. Jesus says, forgive. Not just for them, but for you. Let me pray. Oh, dear Jesus, your whole life exemplified forgiveness. And for those of us, Lord, who have said yes to you, our lives have been changed in ways that we cannot put words to. But so many of us, Lord, and we don't want to admit it, are like the unforgiving servant. We've taken your mercy, Lord, but we have failed to give it out to other people. And I just pray that today, today would be different. That today, Lord, that you would fill every single person in this room with your Holy Spirit. That you would give them the strength to follow your lead and forgive that person. Lord, I pray that your spirit would be a bomb in all of our lives. That this hurt that we're holding on to, that today, God, today we would begin to feel the healing power of forgiveness. Give us the strength to do this, Lord. Thank you for every single person that came here today, that took time out of their week to just say, thank you, God, for what you're doing in my life. God, I pray that you would honor them for coming here today. I pray that you would give them the strength, meet them at the place of their need. And we ask all of this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.